0: What is it like to be the editor behind some of the most successful films in box office history? What are the contributions an editor can make to this kind of success? And what's the career path that leads an editor to this enviable position? Hi, I'm film editor Lawrence Jordan of Master the Workflow, a community dedicated to educating people about the world of professional editing. Our course, Feature Film Assistant Editor Immersion, has become the de facto standard for those wishing to learn the real-world workflow of feature film and television editorial. If you like what we're doing here, please support us by hitting like and subscribing to our channel, and click the bell at the right to be notified about future videos. You might know the name Jeffrey Ford as the editor of some of the most successful and exciting box office films of all time including Marvel's Iron Man 3, the Captain America Trilogy, and Avengers, Endgame, and Infinity War. But Jeff's work goes beyond the realm of superheroes and CGI extravaganzas. He's also cut powerful dramas like One Hour Photo, Shattered Glass, Crazy Heart, and most recently, The Comey Rule and Let Him Go. Jeff's not only an editor at the top of his game, he's also a genuine cinephile who possesses a deep knowledge and love of the filmmaking craft. Collectively, the films Jeff has cut have earned over $4 billion in global box office. Today, I'm excited to present to you Part 1 of our exclusive one-on-one talk with Jeffrey Ford ACE. We'll do a deep dive into subjects like his career path, get insights into editing mega-hits, about his workflow techniques and challenges, and much more. If you love movies and want a deeper understanding of the editing craft from a consummate filmmaker, I know this is something you will really enjoy. So let's get to it. Jeff, great to have you here. Thank you so much for being with us, taking the time.
1: Thank you, it's fun. (laughs) I love doing these.
0: Great, great, man. So we'll just get right into the questions. Um, I know you went to USC film school, but give us a quick overview of where you went from there. What were your first jobs in post-production? What were your first jobs that really got you into the editing room?
1: Well, I met a lot of great people at USC film school uh, a lot of people who are, are still good friends of mine today. And uh, I, I can kind of, it's interesting. My, my ability to, you know, get into the industry is really a story of relationships with people that I met there. And also, you know, people that I stayed friends with after, after film school, cause I didn't have any connections. I didn't know anybody. I didn't have any family connections to get in. So I basically had to figure out a way. And I like to say that, um, instead of like climbing over this wall uh, one at a time to get into the industry the mythical wall that surrounds hollywood um, we all kind of got together and walked in the front door together and and i think that's that's kind of the way it, it can work if you if you develop a coalition of of, of you know friends and and artists that are like minded and are working together to you know to break into an industry or or, or to or to redefine it but um, i basically got out of film school and, and like everybody else i didn't have a job and um, and uh, I started working as a camera assistant because I knew a lot about cinematography. I, I liked editing the most, but, but I, wasn't, I wasn't finding any work. So what I was finding is work as a, as a camera assistant, as a focus puller. Uh, dolly grip and and also electrician. I was really bad at those things, but um, <laughs> I was better at, at 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 camera than I was at 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 uh, electrician, and and which is So why I didn't do electrician very long because that would have been dangerous. But um, <laughs> so I did a lot of t- a lot of commercials, a lot of promos, a lot of you know a lot of you know jobs where you could work three or four days and kind of you know in those days I could I could work three or four days and make enough money to cover you know a month. Uh, of looking for other jobs and writing and and hanging out with my friends because I was young and I didn't have uh, a family. And so it was easy to sort of, you know, uh, live hand to mouth. Um, but I always want to get back to the editing room because I really loved that. And uh, uh, a good friend of mine, James Gray, who I went to school with at film school, USC, he somehow put together a independent film that he was going to make and he got the money together. and. Uh, and we, we all sort of couldn't believe that it was happening. And he's like, we all got it. We all got to work on it. It's like, you know, it was our first big shot to make a movie. But of course the studio had, you know, they wanted to get a, a, an editor on that picture that had some experience because James had never directed anything before. And so, um, I said, well, I can work in camera. Cause I've been doing that, but that, that was also sort of already <laughs> spoken for. So James said, you're going to be in the assistant editor. And I'm going to tell uh, the editor that you have, they have to hire you because you're my friend. I'm like, that's not going to go over well. <laughs> he said, just do it, just do it. You can do it. So. Uh, they hired uh, the editor. They hired was this one of the greatest people on earth. This woman named Dorian Harris, who's one of my favorite people still to this day. So Dorian was the editor, and she, I went down to to meet her, and she's like, uh, "Well, I guess you're a political hire," <laughs> and I said, "Look, um, I, I'll do a good job. I promise." She goes, "Nah, you'll be fine. Um, just you know, just do, do you know, just don't lie. Do a good job and, and be a an, be a good person." And that was pretty much it. So I went to New York and I did dailies for for James uh on that movie in New York by myself, Dorian and uh, Brian Johnson who was her first assistant. They stayed in LA, which where, where the movie was going to be cut. This was all shot on film. 1994, it's a movie called Little Odessa with Tim Roth and Moira Kelly, Vanessa Redgrave, and um absolutely one of the greatest experiences of my life. It was like, you know, New York in a winter. They put me up at Sound One. Uh never been there before and I was in a room uh you, you know the At one point I got, you know, in trouble because they're like, are you a union person working here? And I'm like, I don't know. (laughs) And I wasn't at the time. It was a non-union show. Anyway, we shot in a terrible winter in in, in Brighton Beach, uh, and it was this crazy uh, Russian mob picture. It's a really good movie. James did a great job. I think we shot, you know, 200,000 feet of film, which is nothing. And uh, Dorian put it together beautifully. And it was it was a real fast experience. But that was my first job as an apprentice editor. And uh, I got bumped up to assistant. I got enough hours to get into the union. And um, and, you know, from there I was off and running and, and in terms of like I, I had a, a foothold and one job has sort of led to the next and, you know, blink, you know, uh, 30 years go by kind of thing. So yeah. I've been really lucky in it. But but that first the first, you know, entree, I owe I'll, I owe everything to James Gray and Dorian Harris, who both, you know, sort of took a chance on on letting me work for them. And um, I did my best because I knew it was a was a was a, a privilege. Um, and then, you know. When I finished that movie, uh, I got a call a few months later from another film school friend of mine, Tia Nolan, who is an editor working in the business. And, and she had, uh, she was working for Richie Marks on a, on a movie called things to do in Denver when you're dead. And she called me up and she said, Hey, we need an apprentice right away. Cause our apprentice just quit. And, uh, <laughs> and so I'm like, really? And she goes, yeah. And when you come down and meet, I'm like, I'm like, oh my God, Richie Marks, a, a hero of mine, somebody that I, I literally would like looked up to since. Uh, since I understood what it meant to be an editor, I mean, he obviously involved, uh, present at the creation of films like, you know, the Godfather part two apocalypse now, uh, amazing. The resumes and nuts. Uh, um, and so the chance to get on that crew, you know, I jumped at it and I got, I can't that another, another case where I owe it all to Tia and I owe it all to Richie for taking a chance on me, but I ended up on that crew on that movie, which was a small independent Miramax movie. Um, and, uh that was really the beginning uh, you know and, I, and that was the foothold
0: wow so i mean it really emphasizes the importance of your network you know the people that you knew yes uh james tia uh and and the luck of the draw that tia was working for richie and you got to work for one of the most highly respected editors of all time
1: yeah i mean it's being in the right place at the right time is is, is, is you just can't say that enough and, and being available right so being having you know, the other thing that was available is I had the ability to go crazy and say, you know what, I will take this job for very little money and and go to New York, a city I would never lived in and and basically roll the dice and maybe maybe fail miserably. But I had a chance to take a big risk and the big risk paid off in that I closed on that movie. I did well. I, I, I remained friends with that whole crew to this day. We're still very close. And and they you know, they they supported me as much as as anything. I remember I was sending track back from New York and I had never done this before. I mean, I had sunk dailies in film school, but I was syncing the dailies and I was marking the track incorrectly. And I and I was sending it back to LA. Now it was in perfect sync, but the, but the protocol of marking it was very specific. And I was using a, a protocol that wasn't, I wasn't doing it exactly right. I got back to LA and the first assistant took me aside and he goes, hey, listen, I wanna tell you how I'd want you to mark this track in the future. And I said, oh my God, I've been doing it wrong. And he goes, yeah, but it was right. <laughs> it was right. And, I, and, and Dorian was cool. And we, we said, you know what, we don't want to bust his confidence. We're just going to we'll like, let him, we'll let him, let him finish. We'll get when he gets back here. We don't want to we didn't want to upset you and make you worry that you were doing something wrong, because everything else was so perfect. And, and we, we just wanted to make sure that you knew that this is how you should do it. And I was like, Oh, my God, you guys, that is like, that's an example of what people will do for you. If you're doing a good job for them, you feel that sense of camaraderie. But also, you know, you know, you want to help if people want to help you be successful um if you really believe in what you're doing and if you have if you have passion about it if you don't like you know if you don't like the job and you're doing the job especially post-production or any kind of motion picture production or post-production if you don't like it get out because it is not a great job if you don't love it if you love it it's the greatest job in the world but like anything if it's if it's misery no one wants to be around a miserable person and you don't want to be there either get out There's, there's plenty of other ways to make money it's not the it's not the most lucrative position in the world. But boy, is it fun if you love it? Yeah, absolutely.
0: It's not a job that you're going to punch in nine to five and uh, you know forget <laughs> about when you go home.
1: Right. Exactly. No, it's, it's a it's a it's a it's a it's a life's work kind of passion thing. It's it's a craft. It's something that you, you learn to do really good over over thousands of hours of doing it and you, you know, you get better at it. And it's always it's like a puzzle you never solve. Next movie, new puzzle. And if you like making puzzles, <laughs> it's a great job. Yeah, yeah
0: absolutely. So then, um, after Little Little Odessa, working with James, you got to cut his picture of the Yards. Uh, how did that come out? Come about? That was a pretty quick jump.
1: Well, it's not a linear one. I mean, so I did you know things to do in Denver with Richie, and then Richie left that film. We went up to Seattle to work on a movie called Assassins, which I think you're familiar with, um, where it was sort of like? Uh, and then it became sort of the summer of Camp Warner Brothers because we had to we started <laughs> shooting in March we started shooting in March in Seattle and we had to in Portland and we had to be in theaters in October. I mean, if anybody knows, that's a crazy accelerated post. So we were at Warner Brothers in Burbank all summer working every day. Um, every and I don't, I mean, day. I just went every day, every day I would go home to sleep, shower, come back. And that was it. And we were fed. It was like, there was like a legion of assistants working on multiple versions of the movie. We were doing double previews We preview on a Tuesday, Wednesday, Tuesday, Wednesday preview in Pasadena, endless crazy movie with Dick Donner. And by the way, a lot of fun. Yeah. But, um, um, and it, I think it's generated a few memes, by the way, it just, it, it, it definitely has a, it definitely has a life, but, uh, one of the first internet thrillers also, by the way, uh, you know, we a movie about, you know, using the internet to create suspense, right? <laughs> anyway. Right. Um, so I was on that picture and that was one of those movies where, um, it was so much intense work over such a short amount of time. I learned a lot, um, had a great time, learned a lot, um, just being a fly on the wall. Got to meet Dick Donner, who was a hero of mine. I mean, you know, Superman the movie was one of my favorite movies when I was a kid. And getting to meet Dick Donner work on a Dick Donner movie—that's crazy. Plus, he's one of the nicest people in showbiz. You know, and you'll hear that from anybody that's ever worked with him. So amazing experience. Got to meet you and work with you. Uh, T was on that movie. And interestingly enough, the guy at the front desk answering phones in Dick Donner's office—the guy who would say, uh, "Donner, Schuler, Donner." That was Kevin Feige, who became the head of uh, a Marvel Studios. So we were when we were at Warner's, we were all there rattling around. And there's Kevin working as a P.A. at Warner's. And now he's the head of Marvel Studios and one of the biggest players, if not the biggest player in, in blockbuster you know, movie making. And my boss, when I work at Marvel and and also, again, like Donner, if you ever get a chance to work with Feige, work with him. He's one of the great, great people. Anyway, after Assassins, uh, I stayed with Richie's crew for a while. We did a couple of other little fixes here and there, and then we ended up on a Jim Brooks movie called all, uh, As Good As It Gets and as good as it gets was a sort of year and a half crazy I mean you you've worked on a Jim Brooks movie you know uh, it's insane and yeah so you you know how that is it's it's a an, again you're in a, a a totally insane world where <laughs> the rules don't apply and and boy oh boy it's nuts and working with Jim and Richie you know it's a crazy intense creative environment you're learning a lot I, I mean again massive lessons to be learned there and I worked really hard on that film and and, uh, it was really intense. And at the end, I was burned out. I was I was exhausted uh, because it was a very another relentless production. And I, you know, I decided I I needed a little bit of a break. And Richie was going on to do a movie called You've Got Mail in New York with Nora Ephron. And he uh, said, can you work on this? And I said, listen, I want to step off now because I'm tired and I need a break. And I I don't want to I know you need, you know, a top a top person. Uh, And so Tia, who was available, uh, said, hey, I'm I'll take, I'll take that job back uh, because she'd gone on to another picture. Anyway, we traded back. I said, Hey, Richie T is free. So she went on to do that movie and I was unemployed for a bit and I thought, you know, I'd take a break. I'm going to do some writing. I'm going to try to work on, um, you know, getting a directing career going, see what I can get, get going. And James called and said, Hey, I am really close to getting this script that that I had been reading and doing notes on a movie called the yards. He was getting that ready to go at Miramax. He's like, you got to cut it. And I'm like, they're never going to approve me. I don't have any credits. He's like, let's try. (laughs) <laughs> so, he said, "I want Jeff to cut the movie." Uh, Harvey Weinstein, who we all know uh, um, what what he's all about. Well, anyway, back in the day, he was a very powerful dude at Miramax. He ran the company, and his, his 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 he was the final final decider. So James called him up and said, "Hey, I want Jeff to cut the movie." And I said, "Well," and Harvey said, "No, uh, I don't know this guy." And James calls me back and he said, "Hey, listen, I don't think I can make this work, but we got one last shot at it. Do you know anybody like who's the biggest?" like superstar person, you know, and uh, that will vouch for you. And I thought, well, I could ask Richie, uh, but I don't know if that's going to carry much weight with Harvey. Cause he's looking for, you know, he's looking for some assurances that I can, you know, I can deliver on something. And he, and I said, let me try Jim Brooks. I'm going to write uh, to Jim and see if he'll maybe write me a letter of recommendation. So I call Jim's office to get, you know, the, the address, like to figure out how to uh, fax him a letter to see if he'll if he'll write me a letter of recommendation. So I, I get his assistant. And she's like, oh, let me put him on. Uh, I'll put him through. And uh, and he takes the call. And I'm like, oh, sorry. I said, Jim, I didn't mean to put the call through. But but since you took it, I said, here's the deal. I'm up for this job at Miramax. He goes, oh, man, well, great. Uh, let me let me see what I can do. Click. And I'm like, wait a minute. So he called Harvey and said, uh, hey, this guy's good. I, I worked with him as an assistant. He's he's a good guy. Uh, you should you should get him. And I assume that's how the call went, because ten minutes later I get a call back and and uh, it's Jim and he goes, "Hey, I got him on the phone. I, I talked to him about you." <laughs> I'm like, "What?" <laughs> I'm like, "That's crazy." So, uh, um, he's yeah, he seemed he seemed interested. So anyway, let me know how it goes. Bye, click. And then ten minutes later, phone rings. James Gray calls me up. Hey, dude, I don't know who you got to call him, but you got the job.
0: Wow, holy it. Yeah, cow. it was insane.
1: So I I so I owe my career to James, Tia, Richie, Jim. Harvey Weinstein, <laughs> you know, but I don't want to put them in the same list as that is that guy. But but anyway, um, you never know, like the the cycle of it. Anyway, I got approved on that movie. The movie was incredibly difficult film, torturous post production. Um, hmm. I think I might have been fired off that movie three times and rehired as we all were because it was one of those movies where they, you know, you'd show a cut, they'd fire you and the next week, you'd come back on and keep working. It was it was nuts. And uh, it went into it was in, it was selected to be in competition at Cannes in 2000 and right. we we went to Cannes and we walked the red carpet into the Palais and got the standing ovation. And it was one of the greatest experiences of my life. Um, amazing experience. I love the movie to this day. I think it's I think it's one of James's best films. I I'm very proud of it. It's a uh, it was one of the I mean, the cast has gone on to do a lot of great things. The cast was Joaquin Phoenix, Mark Wahlberg, Charlize Theron, uh, Faye Dunaway, Ellen Burstyn, James Caan. Um, wow. You know, I, it doesn't it doesn't get any better than that. And uh, so I was, again, amazing experience. The movie didn't do any box office. No, very few people saw it. It was shot by Harris Avedis, who's one of the great cinematographers who went on to do a lot of films with David Fincher. Um, incredible uh, talent. I mean, le- again, learned more on that than I can I could possibly express. But it was, it. I should not have been on that movie. And uh, it was just, I just, it was, it was, fate. I was in the right place at the right time. It was fate, but it was also, you know, a part of it is, is, um, I mean, people, there's a saying and it's by a coach and I don't remember who to attribute it to, but it's the saying is luck is the residue of design. And uh, I think that, you know, you're just pushing, right? To get somewhere because it's something you love to do because it's your passion. Well, if you put yourself in the right place at the right time and you're passionate about doing something and you're available to do it, eventually you're gonna get a shot. And when that shot happens, you're gonna find out if you're good and if you can stay in the game. And, and I think a lot of it is that like, I mean, I happened I was blessed with you know i have the ability to do it and i love doing it so it's not a strain or a stress on me it actually editing is something i enjoy doing it relaxes me it makes me you know i actually feel better sitting down and working on a scene than than you know it's not you know yeah yeah yeah. then not yeah so it's like like it's and obviously anything to an excess is a problem like after 14 hours i'm like get me out of here but (laughs) um but but, you know when i get there in the morning and i got new you know you get dailies in there and it's like oh boy here's some new stuff actors this is going to be great uh anyway that I I'm I'm the luckiest person in the world but uh you you want to be standing you know there when the when the bus shows up to get on it.
0: Yeah and I think that's a really important point is that that comes through to the people that you're working with and that's what makes them say hey this is the guy he can do it your passion comes through and that's a really important factor to remember if you're not into it like you said before get out because people will sense that and they will pass you over and not pick up the phone and make a phone, you know, phone call to uh, a studio head to vouch for you. I mean, yeah. And yeah, it- it's funny what you're saying about Jim, because he can be the most intense and intimidating guy you've ever worked for. <laughs> you, you're completely terrified of him and, and think that he might hate you. And then you'll see him and it'll be like, you know, you haven't seen him in 20 years and he gives you a big hug. and
1: <laughs> Yeah. No, yeah. you know, a lot of directors are like that. It's interesting. You work with them. I did a movie with Michael Mann and, and you know, when you're working with Michael, it's very intense. And, and he's like he's like just focused and it's like insane hours and everything's the highest of stakes. And, you know, you and you have to have that, that incredible degree of drive and passion. And it it takes almost everything out of you. And then, you know, um and you feel like you've been in war with someone and and, you know, it's or it's just nuts. And then, you know, I've I'll bump into him now and again. Uh, we're not working together now and I'll, I'll see him. And, and it's like, you know, give you a big hug. And it's like it, it's it's someone that you have this relationship with that that you went through something together, that right. like it, it, it's a bond that you have. And and the intensity of the experience is very different than when you know, you're, when you go back to civilian life, right? Um, so I think that it's interesting. There is a, there is a bond that you make when you're on a, on a movie together and there's some, there's a camaraderie and a collaboration. That's why also I love filmmaking. I think is it's not, it's not solitary in, in, in a lot of ways like other art forms. I mean, if you're writing a novel, you're kind of in a room by yourself, you might get feedback from an editor or, or a colleague and, and, and make revisions. But, but uh filmmaking is, you know, a constant series of collaborations and, if you find people that you enjoy collaborating with, like it's like being in a band, you feel like. Why I love working with James Gray or when I love why I love working with the Russo brothers, it's just that I feel like I'm I got, I'm in a groove with those people and we can we can really make something special because together we, we, we we're greater than the sum of our parts.
0: Nice. Yeah, I, that's a great way to explain it. You know, a lot of people have discuss, you know have described going through a movie like, you know, going to war uh, or being in the circus. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like yeah. you develop these relationships that, you know, if it's a good experience can last a lifetime. That's a really great story. So you've worked with a variety of highly respected directors on many of their early films. How did you cultivate these relationships Were they simply projects your your agent found for you?
1: Well, James and I were in film school together, and I met him. Um, uh, we we worked together in film school a bunch on a bunch of different things, and um, we were good friends. I mean, he was he was in his remains one of my my good friends, and in, in, uh, he was best man at my wedding. I mean, like he's he's a very close friend. So he was somebody that was a friend and a, and a collaborator, and that's a great that's a great thing to have happen. In the case of um, you know, and then one thing leads to another. Like when we were cutting the yards, we used to. Uh, James was friends with Mark Romanek who was a music video director who was preparing a feature film and Mark would come by and hang out with us because he was getting ready to go into that editing room mode and 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 a production mode. And he wanted to get a sense of it because he had done short, short form stuff, but not nothing, you know, long form. And so he would go visit, you know, his friend Fincher or he'd come visit James and, and he'd be there. And so I met Mark and, and I liked him and, and, and ended up cutting a movie with him, um, another great artist. And I met him through through James and then, um, uh, you know, or for instance, Uh, I've done uh, several movies with Billy Ray great screenwriter and also a very dear friend of mine one of my closest friends he was introduced to me by my agent I had an agent Mm -hmm. when I signed on to do the movie when I did when I did James movie I I signed with an agency uh, and and I did it mostly because I felt I needed protection because I knew Miramax's reputation for being for being a very strange company that had a lot of weird things that went on and I wanted legal and 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 agent representation in negotiating that deal to protect me and to make sure everything was above board. And I didn't want to do it myself because I had no experience. So it was worth it to start a relationship with this agent, Jay Gilbert, who I've been with since I started. And then Jay was able to, you know, as my career went on, you know, I I found, you know, uh, the picture with Romantic through James and and so Jay didn't really bring that to me. But the next movie, uh, I did a movie called Shattered Glass and, and Billy Ray was a first time director. He was a screenwriter who was making his debut as a director on a very small movie. But I said to Jay, you know, hey, listen, When you're looking at scripts out there and there's people looking for editors, I want to do something. that's. I love politics. I love stuff about Insider, D.C. Beltway stuff. I also love journalism. I mean, these are these are the thematic ideas that I'm really into. If any of this crosses your desk, can you let me know? (laughs) Because I want to chase after one of these. And sure enough, Shattered Glass shows up, which was a story about uh, the New Republic, you know, a, a political magazine in D.C., And it was about a plagiarism case. Uh, One of their writers had gone off and done a and and, and fabricated a ton of stories. And it was the story of the editor who who caught him. And Billy wrote this amazing script based on a Vanity Fair article, amazing piece of material, you know, docudrama. And I met Billy and I said, you know, I love this material. He's like, well, what do you think it's about? And I'm like, well, this is what I think it's about. He's like, you're exactly right. Let's, this is perfect. Let's do it. So I did that movie. It wasn't a big movie, it was a small film. But again, I got to work with Billy, incredible talent, a piece of material I loved. The cast was Hayden Christensen, who had just done Star Wars. He was Anakin Skywalker, and everybody was like, "I don't know if he can pull it off." And I'm like, "I think he can," well, you know. But he, it's it's worth a shot, and he's the guy that got the movie made because he was kind of an up and coming star. Peter Sarsgaard, who also hadn't done a ton but was amazing actor, uh, Chloe Sevigny, uh, Hank Azaria. I mean, there's just again like crazy good cast. Great cast. <laughs> Like, oh my yeah. god, these people. Are... And Sarsgaard's like the greatest actor of all time. Anyway, Hayden stepped up, delivered a beautiful performance, uh, and. And uh, the movie's really good and Billy did a great job anyway, difficult edit, um, very, very hard film to 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 put together on a shoestring, but learned a lot and lifelong relationship with Billy. I've done. Uh, we did breach together, which was a movie with Chris Cooper about an FBI agent who was selling secrets to the Russians. And then we just finished a movie called The Comey Rule, which is a four, four hour miniseries for Showtime about James Comey and Donald Trump. So again, it was like a trilogy of Washington liars or something. But, um, it's been, it's been, you know, that, that was a great relationship that my agent introduced me to. I'll never be able to thank him for that because Billy got me, uh, when we worked together on Shattered Glass, Shattered Glass was produced by Tom Cruise and Paula Wagner. Tom Cruise at the time was auditioning to be in a movie called collateral with Michael Mann. Michael needed an editor. Tom and Paula liked my work on shattered glass. Tom and Paula suggested I go meet with Michael on collateral. I went down, had an interview with Michael Mann on collateral. He liked me. We liked each other, but I wasn't the right guy for that job. Um, but we we hit it off and he remembered me later for Public Enemy. So again, if I hadn't have met Billy, my agent hadn't introduced me to Billy, Billy. And I, I would have never worked for Paula and Tom at Cruise Wagner. Cruise Wagner never would have introduced me to Michael Mann. I would never have gotten public enemies and public enemies introduced me to Paul rebel, my co-editor on that movie. And Paul was the person who introduced me to the people at Marvel, which started my run at Marvel. So wow. it's all connected to the yeah. people that you work with. And, and by the way, I didn't plan any of this. Um, I just had one simple rule, which was don't let anybody down because uh, they're going to remember, uh, you. And, and it doesn't mean you, you have to, every movie has to be a hit or every movie has to be perfect or every movie has to be a masterpiece or an Oscar winner. But, if you do your best and you honor them and you tell the truth and you're a good person, you know, in terms of like, you're you're trustworthy, they can count on you, right? You don't let them down. That's it. And if you like the job and you're good at it and people can count on you, you're done, man, you can, you can, you're going to have anything you want in this industry. That's the key. Yeah. Uh, is being, being, you know, try to try to be, uh, uh, someone that people can depend on.
0: Yeah. And the through line here to me, the theme is, It's all about these relationships. And like you say, building trust and working hard and being as good as you can and and having some talent doesn't hurt either. So I know you've got that in. True, uh, and
1: I'll tell you, there there are a lot of people in this industry who are working who aren't great. And and I, I don't mean that like, I'm just saying that there's, there are good people who work hard and are good at their jobs. Like any industry that you'll find are prized. That's not, if you're good at editing or assisting and, people like hanging out with you and you're, you're good to be in the room with, and you have a good personality and you enjoy it and you have a good energy, you're going to work because there aren't a lot of those people. Yeah. And there's a lot I mean, you know, and you know, you know, you and I have probably been on crews where you hire someone who's good, but they're not super fun to be around. That's okay. You can, you can get through it or you have somebody who's really great to be around, but they're not the greatest at their job. That's okay too. But there, the, you know, the, the, when you're competing for the job, you're actually competing against other people, not just for their skill level, but you're competing for their ability to collaborate, yeah. which is a little different than skill set. You know what I mean? The ability to collaborate means how open are you to ideas? How do you respond when you get an instruction? Um, how do you stay late on your own time to to show that you really you know back the project? Not out of a way to just grandstand, but but um, and and not to be taken advantage of. But but there's a level of commitment that that's present. Yeah. in people that you want to hire again, that's and that's it. that's what I look for. That's why I look for in an assistant. I look for for somebody who's you know, man, this person has my back and they also want to edit someday. They want to move up. They want to work their way up the process. We want to invite people into the industry that are going to make it a better place. And, uh, you know, that means we want to invite people in. We'll make it more diverse. We want to invite people in who are going to make it more creative. We want to invite people in. who are going to tell better stories and, and make better movies. That's and not that we're sitting there being gatekeepers, but the point is that's, that's the, those are the people that you, you, uh, you hire again and again are the people that, you know have exciting ideas and passion about about keeping this art form going
0: yeah again it's 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 just not a regular job and i think most people with any kind of sense of intelligence understand that but you know every once in a while you get a person who's like hey it's um 7 30 isn't it time to go home now and uh a lot of days it's just not
1: (laughs) well it's you know i also you can make the analogy it's a little bit like you know baseball or, or pro sports it's like you know there's different levels of you can go out and play ball right you can go play baseball with your friends on saturday you can also play minor league ball and or high school college minor leagues then there's the then there's the big leagues and things are different and the level of commitment's higher is it the same game? You bet. And do you have fun doing it? You bet. But the level of achievement, commitment, focus, determination, and sacrifice is higher in the big leagues than it is when you're playing little league. So yeah. there's, a, there's a progression that happens, and as you get good at something, you have a responsibility to... You know i you know it's not a job you go oh boy i can't wait till i get to the big money and i can just coast <laughs> you never it never <laughs> happened there's no big money there's no coasting you're going to keep working you know the the job is the job is the reward um yeah and and you have to you have to be very careful about a work-life balance because it's addictive in terms of fun if you're really enjoying it and you can you can end up losing those hours but it's 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 hard work and uh it requires a commitment.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely great answer. I really appreciate that. Um <laughs> sure. and I know our, and I know that our students are going to, you know, get a lot out of that because it, you know, there's been some <clears throat> excuse me. I, I I participate in a few online forums about editing, you know, because you know, keeping some sort of profile, you know, with the business and all that. And you know, there's this uh, movement about about you know, demanding a 45-hour work week and things like that. And I'm just while admirable and understandable, on the other hand, um, there's a certain amount of unreality in, in that kind of organized demand for that thing. Every job is going to be different. Yes, you are going to have some right. jobs that are going to have normal hours, I mean, for whatever reason. But again, when you're playing in the big leagues, uh, there's a lot on the line for these people. I mean, what was the budget on you know some of these Marvel films? Two, $300 million dollars there's a lot of pressure mm-hmm. and people expect there is a, you to perform.
1: Yes. Oh, for sure. And I think, I mean, one of those, one of the things about that is, you know, deadlines are always present in, in whatever you're doing. I mean, you just, there's just no, there's very few jobs where you have where there isn't some sort of deadline involved and you have to be aware that at some point you might have to dig deep and, and, and put in some extra hours. I think the idea that, um, that, you can keep accelerating the editing process to the point of where it's, it just, you know, it can happen. It has to happen fast. It seems like it has to always happen faster and faster and faster. You can do that. But I think a lot of people have learned that you do that at the detriment of the, of the project itself. In other words, if somebody's working, you know, if you're working 14 hours a day, um, your decisions in, in, in the, you know, those last few hours are not going to be as sharp as, at least for me, are going to be as sharp as the ones that you made in the morning. And if you have, if you have like, for instance, one of the things that I do, I try not to work crazy long days. And if I do work them, I make sure that the work that I'm doing later in the day isn't as critical in terms of decision making for aesthetic or performance reasons as the ones I make in the morning because I'm I'm a lot more uh, clear about choices in the morning. And then I always want to look at it the next day and make sure that I made good choices. But the other thing that I find that's important is um, I take breaks during the day. Uh, You know, I do uh, just something that I found is helpful to me is uh, I do transcendental meditation, which is just a way to sort of take a little bit of time twice a day to to really just stop the the income, the incoming, you know, yeah. <laughs> information yeah. for a second. Yeah. And that's where the ideas come, you know, also, it's it's about keeping your creativity alive, because, you know, filmmaking is a very creative process, you have to have ideas. And those ideas don't come from nowhere, they come from, you know, deep in your, you know, in the in in, in your con- subconscious. And, and that is if you never shut the noise off, you can't make room to listen, you know, with clarity. So I feel like overwork causes its own problems. And an artist or a a craftsperson knows how much work they can do safely. And obviously, that's the other issue. If you're exhausted, you can't drive home, something's wrong. I mean, that's too much. Yeah. So those kind of those, yeah, those limits you have to be able to set for yourself. And any, any producer or director worth their salt will know that you're doing that in the best you're you're saying i need to t- i need to stop now and rest that's not just for you it's it's for the good of the project because you, the project to you i mean there's yeah. no there's no you know the the movie is this is sort of this collective of all of our energies coming together to make this thing that's that's going to be we're going to share with the world um so if any one of us is, is dysfunctional that the, the movie is going to suffer so yeah it, i think that balance is critical and um but but that but that said i think you you know you make a good point which is you know, anything worthwhile is going to be, it's going to be challenging who wants to do something that's eat. I mean, I never looked at this as like, it's like, I never looked at it as a job. Um, it is obviously, and I, am not being, I'm not being glib. I mean, I understand it's a job and I make a good living and I'm very lucky to be doing it and getting paid for it. That's, I no illusions about that. I, I thank my lucky stars every day. I have enormous gratitude for that. But, um, if I didn't have any, if I had some free time, I'd probably be doing the same thing.
0: Exactly. I mean, that's what I'm doing. I mean, I'm not working yeah. on a film. I'm making my own little films, I guess you could call them. We were, but I'm editing every yeah, day and I'm shooting every day. And it's, it's crazy. Like, this is my time yeah. off.
1: <laughs> we, were in a, we were in a very late night DI session one time and, and one of the producers goes, okay, we're going to go around the room, everybody. And everybody's going to tell us what your dream job is, what you would do if you won a billion dollars in the lottery. And they went around the whole room, and someone wanted to open an orphanage, and someone wanted to like, you know, um, you know, uh, be a painter, and someone wanted to live in Hawaii. And it got to me, and I'm like, I'm doing it. <laughs> I'm here. <laughs> I don't know. What, I don't have the billion dollars, but I'm I'm doing what I'm doing. <laughs> I would be here,
0: probably not at three o'clock in the morning in a DI. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. That's great. I love it. So being that every director has a different filmmaking style and working style and personality, how do you find the rhythm for successfully working with each one? Is there a secret to your style that makes you so adaptable to so many different personalities?
1: Well, one of the most important things, and if you have the luxury to do this and not always do you have that luxury, but it picked the project And you know, I can't tell you how many movies I said no to in my career that ended up being disasters and I'm, I could smell it. And I was like, I'm not going there. If you have a bad script and you, you know, you're offered that job, you might not want to take it. If, if it's, if it feels like a train wreck and you're like, this is going to be a year in my life and it's going to be this, I don't want to do this. And if you can smell that and, and know that that's not for you, I, I've always said to people, try to make the movies you want to make. In other words, if you could make a movie, if you, movies you want to, you love like, so for instance, if you talk to directors about movies they love, if it's the same movies that you love, you might be, that might be a good fit for you. And that's what I do with directors. We talk about movies we love. So when I was going to work with the Russo brothers on winter soldier, which was the second captain America movie, I was in the middle of doing, I was finishing, I think I was finishing iron man three and Marvel said, Hey, these guys want to meet with you. Uh, and uh, they're going to do this movie and I knew uh, the story was going to be a, a take on the a 70s paranoid thriller, but with Captain America. and I'm like, I so badly want to do this movie, literally my favorite genre. So I met with them. We had a great interview. But I said before I say yes, you guys, we have to go to dinner. And I said, I'll go anytime you guys are available anywhere. But I have to we have to go to dinner and and, and make sure that this is going to work mm-hmm. because I didn't want to do that movie if I didn't like them because uh, it was going to be a lot of work. And I, I and the interview was it was. It was a regular sort of stale interview and I couldn't tell if it was real. So we went to dinner and uh, and. You know, you can tell, you know, what are they ordering? Um, What are they what do they drink? (laughs) Um, How was their sense of humor like? Can you have a conversation? Do you feel relaxed with them? And then we started talking about movies. I said, let me just start by asking you guys some of the movies that have influenced the plan for this one, because this is going to be a 70s paranoid thriller. Can you tell me like? I said, I'm going to put aside three days of the condor because I can see the relationship between that movie and what you guys want to do with this. But tell me, could me a couple of other options of films that stylistically will influence this? And they go, well, we were really leaning heavily towards the conversation. The movie with Gene Hackman, Francis Coppola movie from 1974. I said, OK, stop. I'm in. Let's get another <laughs> round of drinks. We're doing this movie. We're doing it right now. I am. I'm in. I will work for free. I don't give a shit. This is the greatest thing I've ever heard. And literally I picked my favorite movie of all time. And I'm like, OK, we're, we're going. And all of a sudden, I'm like, OK, if 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 I am having a great time with these guys at dinner and we're talking about our favorite movies and they're all lining up, how hard is this going to be uh, to cut this thing? And you know what? It was like butter. I mean, I, I got to tell you, it was one of the most creatively fun experiences I've ever had working with directors was that movie. And, uh, it was a big budget, high risk, crazy idea. Cause the, f- you know, they took that character in a direction. Nobody expected them to take him and they re- they remapped that, that character utterly and they did it, you yeah. know? Uh, they did it real well. And I, I loved working with them. And also they elevated the material in a way that, that, you know, I mean, it's, it's since become a thing that people do to elevate comic book movies to a level of like to push them into, but it's, it's genre experimentation is taking, you know, superhero genre and fusing it with paranoid thriller, or, you know, it's like a lot of like really cool genre experimentation that they did. Yeah. Um, I just really got into that. And I really love working with them. So if you if you're talking about all that stuff together, I think you're going to be you're gonna be in the zone. Like for instance, I work with Shane Black. Well, Shane had worked with Dick Donner, so we kind of bonded over having worked with Donner. Right. And I, I understood from being at Donner when you and I were there on Assassins. It's like a, that. There's a like a, there's an energy around Donner's company, and great and Shane has kind of yeah. got this a great energy. And Shane has this sort of loony, other kind of crazy energy. And you could go, oh, I see. Joel Silver, Dick Donner, Shane Black, blah, blah, blah. and I got Lethal Weapon, and I understood the math. And so when I would when I would work with Shane, I was like, I'm working with somebody who like made one of my favorite movies. So again, I'm like, I'm cool. I mean, it, even though, you know, Shane has a crazy approach to things, it always leads to these really eccentric and awesome ideas. So I loved working with him. So and and he's somebody who's he and I are very different types of people. I mean, we, there couldn't be two different people on Earth, but I but I adored working with him. And it's, it's interesting how uh, same with Joe Johnston, like, you know on the first cap movie joe was one of my heroes as a kid cuz he drew freaking the tie fighters and the millennium falcon i mean he he drew star wars he was like the artist who created all those images and right. created yoda and like he like you know the visual design of it so here's this guy who basically drew stuff that that like ins- made me inspired to be a filmmaker and i'm working for him as a director um i mean i was like i just really i i was super intimidated super scared and then i remember i showed him a cut the first like second day I was on that movie, I showed him a cut of a sequence and I made him laugh. The, the, mm. I got a, I had a joke land and he laughed like crazy at it. And I was like, oh, that's the best. And we were, we were good from there on. Cause I, cause I, he knew I, we had the same sense of humor. And I think that's a lot of it is do you, do you have a, uh, can you be friends? hang out and have the same sense of humor. Cause you're going to have to, you're going to have to sync up on that. On Absolutely.
0: That I mean, you're in the room with these people for so many hours a day for so long yeah. on end. It really is. Yeah. It's been described as a marriage of, of a type of marriage and it really is. So great advice. Yeah. And yeah. they have
1: to try, they have to trust you. They have to trust you. You have to trust them. It's a, it, that's the most important thing. I think that's, that's probably what it comes down to can you trust those directors? Because they're going to take a year of your life, right? Not, can they trust you? can you trust them because hmm. you're going you're going to give them a lot Yep. yep. Do, do they deserve that did they, they deserve your labor over that year cuz you're going to put a lot in that movie if you care you to leave a lot on the field
0: i think a lot of people a lot of editors certainly newer editors and you know obviously you're coming from a place of a lot of experience but they're afraid they're afraid oh, you know it's just yep. so important that you get the job you know so uh, another thing that seems to be important especially when you're starting out is you know, stay hungry, man. Don't, uh, you know, take on a lot of expenses. I know it's expensive living in LA, but keep your expenses low. Be able yep. to make your own choices.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, look, filmmaking is for me at least, and I, I, it's changing all the time and now we're in COVID and everything's sort of different the way it may not be this way in the future, but I just, I mean, when you're making a film, it's an incredibly, I mean, if you have a job on a film set or even in post, I mean, it's, you, you, you know, you're usually working in a pretty well, I think it's a, one of the safer places to work. There's a lot of oversight. People are always making sure everybody's safe. It's not like you're, you know, uh, exposed to harsh chemicals. If you're outside, there's usually shelter. They feed you really well. You can usually <laughs> eat without having to buy yourself a meal when you're on a show. There's craft service. It's you know, there's if you're in the union, there's there's reasonable medical and, you know care. It's not the worst situation. And I, I do think that's really one thing to remember when you're younger. You know, um, you you want to have a work life balance, but at the same time, you know, being available, having the arranging your financial situation so that you aren't forced into uh, um, taking a, a, any given job, so you can be available for the ones that you really want. We don't always have that luxury. We certainly don't when we we're first starting out. Like I couldn't say no to Little Odessa or to Tia. Didn't want to because they were great opportunities, but. I would have had to take what the next thing was in front of me anyway. But one of those cases for me was working with Billy on shattered glass was I needed a job at that point. I was at a point where, you know, I was, I hadn't worked in a while Mm -hmm. financially. I needed work. I couldn't, I could, I couldn't sit one out. The right one happened to come along, but, uh, you know, you're always going to have to make that, that choice. But I do think it's important to be, to be available, And to be looking and and paying attention to what's being made. Like, if you see something that's being made by somebody that you really want to work on, go for it. Try it. You might not get it, but be respectful. Contact them. Ask them if they can work on it. If you can get a foot in the door on something that you really love, you know, that's a win. It's it's a win, and it will lead to more work if you do a good job. That's the thing. It's, it's It's a job where if you do a good job, you'll get another one.